Today we're going to talk about orca whales, otherwise known as killer whales. These black and white beauties are found all over the world, and number in the tens of thousands. They've received their claim to fame from media like Free Willy, for all you 90s kids out there, and the documentary that came out a few years ago, Blackfish. Much of this storytelling is about orcas in captivity, though, and so today, I want to talk to you about the orcas that are living their best life, or maybe sometimes not their best life, out in the wild. Hi, I'm Kate Harubi, and this is Go Forth in Science podcast, where we combine adventure and science into a tale that will hopefully make the next time you step outside even better. To help me tell the tale of orca whales in the Pacific Northwest, I have a very special group of guests here today, and I'll give them a moment to introduce themselves to you now. group of orca whales that were traveling around the San Juan Islands in Washington State last summer. For any of you who don't know, I work in outdoor education on sailboats all summer, and our crew was lucky enough to happen upon these active whales on our way up to the islands in July. What was especially exciting about this group was that they were transient orcas. Now, in the inland waters of the Pacific Northwest, we have two types of orca whales, residents and transients. These two groups have different languages, different customs and culture, they eat different foods, and they haven't intermingled and gotten it on with a whale in the other group for thousands of years. Transient orcas often travel together in smaller families or pods of one to four whales. But the day we happened upon these vocal orcas, there were several families together, and we got to see around 13 of them interacting in the water. We got the recordings of these whales by placing a microphone over the side of the boat that is specially designed for picking up sound in the water. Personally, while I've heard numerous recordings of orcas and gotten a chance to see them out in the wild quite a bit, I'd never actually heard them talking real-time when I was watching them. So when the vocals started coming out of the speaker that was hooked up to the microphone, I definitely started freaking out. It was one of the most emotional experiences I've ever had. Seeing these whales jump about in the water is already an incredible thing to watch, but to also get the chance to hear them at the same time is something I'll never forget. My journal entry about the encounter started with, it's a good thing I was wearing sunglasses today so no one could see how hard I was crying. True story, also in front of lots of high school kids. To raise the stakes on this afternoon even more, there was a very specific baby in this group of transients, a white orca. White orca whales can occur in both transient and resident populations around the world, but here in the Pacific Northwest, they are seen most frequently in transient pods. White individuals have been spotted in the 50s, the 70s, the mid-2000s, and now in 2019. There is still some question as to why these whales are born white, but all of the theories boil down to the genes, or the blueprint of the animal that tells it how to grow and function. Along with the white skin, these orcas also come with an abundance of health and environmental problems, one of which being their visibility. You can imagine a world where being black and white is a benefit to finding food, aka the world we live in, and it could be much more challenging to catch a rogue seal if you are entirely white. Because of this, the rest of the orcas in the pod take care of the white individual, maybe even more than they would with a normal baby. But they do care for it, because it's family. 
Orca whales are highly social creatures, like us, and so a couple of whales will happily take on a few extra burdens to ensure the health and safety of a white baby. But being an orca, even a normally colored black and white one, is not all fun and games. There's some work and danger that goes into a life in the salt water, too. A main focus of these orcas' lives is to find food. Resident orcas eat fish, mostly Chinook salmon, and transients eat marine mammals like seals and sea lions. Within whale noises, you can hear different kinds of sounds. Calls and whistles are social signals between the whales, but those clicks are actually the whales echolocating, or using sound to see. By making these clicks and listening for the clicks to bounce off prey, they can find their food. The clicks start out slow while the orcas are searching for prey, and when they start to find something promising, the clicks speed up. When they reach something tasty, the clicking stops. Orcas actually make these noises through their nose, and each pod has their own dialect made up of calls, whistles, and clicks. This dialect is passed down from adults to babies in each family. But what happens when you put this intellectual communication into our busy oceans? Imagine trying to talk to a friend at a rock concert. You might be right next to them, but who the heck knows what they're saying because the environment is so loud. These days, oceans are quite similar. Each boat in the water makes noise when its engine is running. And let me tell you, when there are orcas in Washington, you can bet there are boats nearby as well. For the vocals you heard earlier, I filtered out some of the boat noise so it's easier to hear the intricacies of the whale calls. Here are side-by-side -side clips of the whales, the first one without the boat noise, the second one with it. As you can hear, the water is now a not-so-happy rock concert for these orcas, and communication is suddenly that much harder. One of the perks of working on a sailboat is that we contribute less to that noise pollution than a motorboat would. There are some pretty solid rules that are in place to help protect these whales from the boats that so often surround them, but before I can get into those conservation efforts, I need to talk more about the resident orcas of the Pacific Northwest. The resident orcas of Washington, also known as the Southern Resident Killer Whales, are 73 individuals broken into three pods, J, K, and L. J pod has 22 orcas, K pod has 17, and L pod has 34. The sad fact of this story is that there used to be more. In the 60s and 70s, orcas were a hot commodity for zoos, aquariums, and theme parks. At the time, over 50 whales were captured for these parks, and many died in the process. After 15 years or so, live capture practices started dying out, but its impact would be felt in the southern resident killer whales for decades. At the time of live capture, it was easiest to take the babies. Purely from a transport standpoint, it's much easier to get a 400-pound animal to an aquarium than it is to get a 10,000-pound animal to an aquarium. However, it takes an orca about 15 to 25 years to start reproducing, and they have one baby about every 10 years until they are 40. 
So those babies that were taken would have been the primary adults to be having more kiddos to boost the population in the decades after live capture, but they weren't there, and the population felt it. L and J pods have had some promising spikes in population since the 70s. L pod in the 90s and J pod in the early 2010s, but now all three pods are dying faster than they can reproduce. The reasons for this comes down to three factors, boats, toxins, and food. As you heard before, boat noise is making it more challenging for the orcas to hear, both each other and their prey. More boat traffic also means the orcas have a harder time moving around, I wouldn't want to get in the way of a boat either, and the chance of getting hit by boats is more likely as well. As for toxins, environmental pollutants are a large issue in our world's waterways, and they're especially an issue for orcas. Bioaccumulation is a big word that means the higher up on the food chain you eat, the more toxins you'll get. Just like eating a lot of tuna can be bad for humans because of mercury, eating a lot of fish is also poisoning the whales. Salmon are consuming toxins through the food they eat, and it's staying in their bodies. So when the orcas eat a lot of fish, they're accumulating all the toxins that those fish consumed, and their own concentrations of these poisons increase. This not only impacts the health of the adults, but these toxins are also passed on to their babies when they're pregnant, making it harder for the babies to survive. When it comes to one of these toxins, PCB, the orcas of Washington are the most contaminated whales on the planet. The last, but definitely not least, of the three big impacts to orca populations is food. 80% of the southern residents' diet is Chinook salmon, a popular fish in the Pacific Northwest and one of the largest salmon around. But Chinook salmon populations are dropping as well, partly from human fishing and partly from habitat loss in the rivers where they need to lay their eggs. According to the Center for Whale Research, if we wanted the population of the southern resident killer whales to double, it would double the amount of food they consumed as well, from 500,000 salmon a year to a million salmon a year. But right now, Chinook salmon populations are at only 10% of what they once were. After this depressing part of the story, you may be asking yourself, what are we doing about it? Well, now I can throw in some good news. Despite the fact that orcas are the second most widespread mammal on the planet, second only to humans, the unique culture of the pods and populations gave them a leg up in the realm of environmental law. Orcas as a whole can't be labeled as endangered because there are a heck of a lot of them in a heck of a lot of different living situations, so there isn't enough data to say whether the global population is increasing or decreasing. But some laws, like the United States Endangered Species Act, has a loophole that says we can label a specific regional group or ecotype as endangered without having the whole species be in decline. So that is just what we did. In 2005, southern resident killer whales were labeled as endangered, meaning there are stricter regulations and protections surrounding that population. This was following a similar push in Canada, which succeeded in labeling these orcas as endangered just a few years prior. But what does a label actually do to help these orcas? For one, it gives them media attention, which increases education about the situation. It also stimulates funding for research and encourages more laws to be in place. Regulations about the proximity of boats to whales has been in place for a while now, but in 2019, Washington and Canada upgraded their policies. If you were in a boat in Washington, you were required to stay at least three to 400 yards away from the orcas at all times. And if you're within half a mile of the whales, you have to slow down your engine so it doesn't make as much noise. There are similar laws in Canada, and while many of these regulations are centered around the endangered southern resident killer whale, 
transient orcas benefit from the reduction of boat traffic and noise as well. To help with the food problem, Washington State has measures in place to monitor the number of fishers catching these salmon, including fishing licenses and closing some areas of Washington to fishing Chinook. Fish hatcheries are also becoming more popular, where aquatic farmers grow populations of these fish. There are many pros and cons to fish hatcheries, but they remain an increasing part of Washington's marine ecosystem. There is also a growing movement to take down dams along major rivers in the Pacific Northwest. Chinook salmon live most of their lives in salt water, but they travel upriver into fresh water to lay eggs. Dams can restrict salmon's ability to get to good egg-laying habitat and causes a decrease in their population. So while the southern residents are in a bit of a pickle because of us, it's good to know that we're not oblivious to their troubles. And there are great groups of people out there fighting to save these whales. And on the flip side, while transient orcas also have problems with boats and toxins, their food supply of seals, sea lions, squid, birds, and other animals is doing just fine. Now I just talked a lot of information into your ears, so let's do a recap of this episode. Orca whales are highly intelligent and social creatures that can be found all over the world, but two major types found in the Pacific Northwest are transients and the southern residents. Both are feeling the impacts of close proximity to humans, such as environmental toxins and boat traffic, but the southern residents are also feeling the burden of a decreasing food source and being the target of live capturing about 50 years ago. Because of this, their unique population, with its own language and culture, is dying out and was labeled as endangered by the U.S. and Canada in the early 2000s. Efforts are in place to protect the southern residents, but more can always be done, especially as we're still seeing this population decline. Transient orcas aren't dealing with a diminishing food source, though, and so their numbers are doing alright. It might be harder and harder to see resident orcas in Washington, but it's getting easier to see transients, like the group I happened upon last summer enjoying a vocal day in the sun with their white baby. Seeing orcas in the wild is an experience that I suggest to everyone, and there are great ways to see them on land so you don't have to contribute to boat traffic and noise pollution. Just get yourself to a cliff overlooking a part of the ocean where fish and marine mammals like to hang out, bring some stakeout snacks and a set of binoculars, and enjoy a day staring out at our wonderful ocean. If you do want to see orcas up close and personal, and by up close I mean at least 300 yards away, I suggest finding yourself a sailboat. Not only are they more fun, in my thoroughly biased opinion, but you also won't be contributing to noise or environmental pollution as much as you might on a motorboat. And just make sure that if you are checking out these whales in the water, you also take the time to educate your friends and family about them as well. We might be the reason for the problems these orcas are facing, but at least we can help them by deploying our human superpower. We like to talk. Before I sign off in this episode, I would also like to thank the transient orcas hanging around the San Juan Islands last summer. You're awesome and we love you! Info in this episode comes from Marla Holt's 2019 paper, Sounds Associated with Foraging and Prey Capture in Individual Fish-Eating Killer Whales, 
Olga Filatova's 2016 paper, White Killer Whales in the Western North Pacific, Jose Abramson's 2018 paper, Imitation of Novel Conspecific and Human Speech Sounds in the Killer Whale, Bradley Hansen's 2014 paper, Trans-Pacific Consumption of Cephalopods by North Pacific Killer Whales, the IUCN's Red List of Threatened Species, where the ORCA page was written by Reeves, Pittman, and Ford in 2017, and the websites of the Washington State Department of Fish and Wildlife, Canada's Department of Fisheries and Oceans, the Center for Whale Research, and BeWhaleWise.org. Also, a huge thanks to Deep Green Wilderness, the organization I work at, for providing the transient ORCA recordings for this episode.